Welcome to the Great Awakening Show. I am Joanne, and on this week's show, we have Fiona Price. For 40 years, Fiona was a serial entrepreneur, and in 1988, she set up a business helping women understand money management and empowering them to build their financial independence. She became a media spokesperson and a catalyst in the business women's networking movement, which was in its early stages at this time. Fiona was listed in the top 100 of power and influence in the financial sector. Then it was time for a change and she metamorphosized from city professional to semi-feral, living reclusively in Wales with her animals on an ancient farmstead. For the last couple of years, Fiona has been gestating her new project, the Earth Collective, which is a self-sufficient eco-community she is planning to establish in Ireland. She also wrote a book last year called The Ultimate Relationship, The One You Have With Yourself. Fiona, welcome to the Great Awakening Show. Thank you. It's lovely to have you here. So, Fiona, this is, you know... I believe one of the greatest times to be alive, uh, you know, from what we're all going through. Um, what does this great awakening humanity is going through? What does it mean for you? Well, few. That is a big conversation. I think this is the point at which we are recreating our world. This is the point at which we say we don't want any more of what we've had with all of the everything that's been going on, which has really highlighted the dysfunction. So this is the point that we recreate something that we prefer to live in. But actually, it's been happening for a long time. I mean, when you think about the Mayan calendar that took us up to 2012, that was the end of a 25,000 year cycle. So the prophecy was the end of times, but actually it just meant the end of a phase. Um, and that had a transitional period of 30 years. So 18 years or so before 2012, and then another after that. And it started, I think, with the collapse of the Berlin Wall. So this isn't something that's just happened like that overnight. This has been a transitional phase, which is the end of not just that, you know, it's the end of hundreds, if not thousands of years of darkness and dysfunction. And this last pinnacle that has turned us to the point that we are now has been part of this 30-year cycle, which ends in 2030. So we have this amazing opportunity now with so many people saying, what sort of a world do we really want to live in? That the wind is behind our back in terms of making these things happen, especially over the next seven years. So, you know, it's an enhanced energy. It's an accelerated energy over this sort of window of opportunity, this 30-year transitional period. So, yeah, I mean, it's amazing to look around and see what's going on. There are so many people that are getting together and getting together again is the energy of our times. It's the Aquarian energy, you yeah. know, so many of us have gone through a sort of really dark night of the soul, a reclusive period, a period yeah. of sort of feeling like we're in the cave, um, reinventing ourselves and reinventing our lives. And it's just now that it feels like now is the time for action. You know, now is the time to get together with like-minded people and do whatever projects call us. You know, my project that I'm doing, um, which is a way of living collectively, is different to your project and the next project. Yes. But the idea is that there is a coherence and a power in 
bringing like-minded people together for whatever project. And so, again, that is an opportunity that, that probably hasn't been around for an awful long time and aligns with the cosmic changes that are happening and the whole astrology of our times. So, yeah, the Great Awakening is a is a time that, like no other in our whole history, mm. gives us the opportunity to move into an era of consciousness <laughs> development and to move away from the constant um, question about whether we're going to destroy ourselves and the constant um, uh, uncertainty of that whole sort of um, that whole phase. Now, for me, it feels like it's absolutely certain whatever noise is happening, you know, the system's falling apart. It will take time. We have to now step up and say, OK, what we have control over is what we do individually and in our lives collectively on the ground. Change is never going to come from the top down because it's broken. The system is broken everywhere, exactly. globally. Yes. So the power yes. now is with the people. The power now is with the individuals to say, how will we do it differently and just do it? Yes. So I've moved to Ireland to do my project, which I know we're going to talk about later. But I came four and a half months ago and I knew no one. I started yet again with that proverbial blank sheet of paper uh -huh. um, and asked the first question. And I knew that in this part of Ireland, there would be like-minded people, but I didn't know how to find them. I didn't know where they were. And through the most incredible synchronicity, because I take responsibility for my own reality and I create my own synchronicity, I have now tapped into a rich seam of my tribe yeah. in a way that I, I haven't actually experienced before, except perhaps when I was starting out in London in the 80s, and that was frenetic and expansive. But I have found so many people now who have the same outlook on life, who know what's going on in the world, who are all looking to create something different. And many of these people, and, and, and so so my idea was always the community I set up is not enough to be isolated. It has to be a community within a community yes. because you need in the wider context to be talking about alternative financial systems. You need in the wider context to be trading with each other. Mm. And so there's so much actually going on on the ground that isn't publicized, mm. that doesn't have platforms on purpose. People are just getting on and doing it. So there are people that are renting ground and creating community vegetable gardens. Um, there are people that are sharing all sorts of ideas for um, enhancing the production of food and harnessing the power of water. There are people that are homesteading. There are people that are off-gridding. And so actually, and, and sharing the wealth of knowledge, because I really believe that in the next few years, we're going to have so much tech coming on stream that is the zero point stuff, i.e. free energy, the stuff yes. that's been kept from us for a hundred years and more. You know, the deep state has been using it nefariously for all of this time. There are multitude, a, a multitude of different tech ideas being developed in people's garages, um, in laboratories. And actually, because the system is crumbling, it cannot continue to, to suppress the people and the ideas. So yes. I actually feel there's going to be a huge amount coming out. But even on the ground, what I'm seeing are different ideas and, and the start of things that people are doing on their own properties and in mm -hmm. their own way. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's this unity consciousness thing. I think it's this community thing. Mm. I think that there are so many different tiers of it from the invisible that's happening on the ground that will create a groundswell and crescendo into something that becomes 
um, visible in due course, but then also the platforms to actually discuss things and to put out information to a, a global community. Yes. So with my project and, and you know, without talking about that right now, one of the things that's super important is that that is an open resource, that it will be filmed, it will be blogged so that what I learn about all the things that I'm going to be involved in to live off grid and to create this sort of um, different way of living will be shared so yes. that people who want to do something similar can take bits and pieces and not have to start with that blank sheet of paper. But also with this tech that's coming in, I believe we're going to be living at one more with nature. I'm with you 100%. And it's vital and it cannot not be because that's where the healing of the planet is going to come in. And, and also that is where secrets are going to be revealed of healing minerals, herbs, uh, I don't know, everything that we don't already know about. So it is, as always with Mother Earth, a symbiotic relationship. We need to connect because we need to develop our consciousness. As our consciousness develops, Gaia's consciousness develops and vice versa. So we need to connect in order to heal the planet, but we also need to connect because the planet has information for us. Yeah. So it is a beautiful process. Um, and you know, I, I think back to, to the time that I really connected with nature. I was uh, going through a rewilding phase after having had many years in the thick of it in London. And I lived in the middle of nowhere in a microclimate of extreme weather. And I realized that I had to connect with nature to second guess what was coming to keep myself safe, the animals safe, the property safe. And um, I had always loved being outside. I'd done sports all my life. And I, it occurred to me that it isn't enough to simply be outside and say, oh, that's a nice sunset. Love the rainbow. If you're outside busy doing something else, like sport in my case, you're not connecting with nature. No. So my opportunity was through this reclusive period, um, which I call my rewilding years, where I absolutely had to connect because it was about survival. Yeah. And in that connection, Again, it's a symbiotic relationship because as I looked and observed, so it showed me more of itself. Mm. So I, I, I mean, just, you know, at a, at a, at an aesthetic level, I would see a rainbow and go, wow. And it was there for about three seconds. And I think, oh, that was just for me. I can't think of anyone else. You know, I lived in the middle of nowhere. There were no other people. That's just for me. And then I would get another one minutes later and another and another. And I'd frequently get maybe eight or 10 that would be there for very short periods of time. So that's what I mean by as you observe, it observes you back and it gives you more of. Exactly. And it was the same with dis discovering the animals that lived on my property and realizing you know, these. I had my animals and I had the odd other wild animal I knew of. And then I had a whole load I didn't know of. Wonderful stories about connections with wild animals that needed my help. And I seemed to be on the cat internet and I had about eight feral cats that came to me in the end. Um, but actually, um, it makes you realize again, in, in talking about this relationship with nature, with Gaia, you cannot own it. You cannot because yeah. it is so massive. Even with my 10 acres, I didn't know the half of what was on my 10 acres. Yeah. So it is a question of guardianship. It's that, that's beautiful. So Fiona, please tell us about your book, The Ultimate Relationship. Basically, this takes us back to the whole idea of taking responsibility for yourself and, and reclaiming your power. The most 
um, significant way that we change our world is by taking back our power. And that means starting with ourselves. We cannot affect the change we want with the world around us and be of maximum use to people unless we understand ourselves. Because there are so many ways in which we trip ourselves up and we diminish our power. So for me, the book um, was 20 years in writing. Mm. So it was um, a whole series of insights, epiphanies, um, talks I'd given, uh, podcasts, um, affirmations. It was just this box of stuff I'd carried around three or four different houses as I've as I moved and when I came to pack up and sell the last one there was the box and I thought right bonfire and I thought no I can't put it on the bonfire without reading everything one last time and when I read it I thought oh shit I can't put it on the bonfire until I've written a book because there was so much in it that was profoundly life-changing for me and I really felt compelled to share it with other people so the book was the culmination of all of that stuff. And what was that stuff? Well, I ha have lived a life of perpetual motion. You know, it was just so frenetic all of the time that I didn't even have time to go to the toilet in the day. You know, it was that sort of ridiculous. Um, I'd had businesses all my life. I'd been in London for 20, 25 years. Alongside that, I competed two sports at international level. Um, and my spiritual journey helped me from a practical perspective a, to have more of an overview on the shit that happened, which always, you know, it was a lot of stuff and challenge that was always happening. When you when you say to the universe, bring it on, and yeah. I've always had this bring it on attitude, what you get is a lot of change. And that change comes through all manner and means, but often through difficult situations. Yes. So having that sort of um, spiritual perspective gave me the ability to see more of a context, to not be angry with people who I felt had done me a misjustice, but to try and understand where they came from, where I came from, how the situation arose. But also, it was about how do I amplify my innate energy, my connection with the divine? How do I use a divine helping hand to get by on five hours sleep and wake up refreshed and ready to go the next morning every day? How do I get more nutritional value out of my food, out of every mouthful I put in my mouth? How do I amplify the energy of that to do the sport that I did and the sheer physicality of my life? And also for the brain power, because in business, constant decision making, constantly needing to be focused, constantly needing to be there in the moment. And then how do you bend time? You know, how do you fit it all in? How do you make time fit the tasks? So so my my book is is really anecdotes and stories and it blends with sort of metaphysics in terms of my techniques for doing all of the above. It's like a sort of quantum form of psychology mm -hmm. um and a practical spirituality blended into the stories of my life. Beautiful. That sounds really really wonderful. Absolutely lovely. But yeah. it also has quite a big theme of the divine feminine. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't call have called it the divine feminine at the time because I didn't understand what the divine feminine was. Yes. But I came into working in London and found myself in the financial sector, which was a complete anathema to me because I was maths phobic. I'd come out of business school with an MBA thinking I was the only graduate on the planet who couldn't read a balance sheet. And there I was in the financial world. I mean, I think like many women in, in my generation, or I subsequently found out there were many women like me who actually were not very numerate as far as maths went, who had a lack of confidence, who sort of had bought the social conditioning that maths and finance was a man's subject. 
Um, and so I set about um, trying to understand it because the financial world is terribly complicated. It's terribly male. It's terribly patronizing. It's full of jargon. And so in my quest to understand it myself, I realized that actually my mission was to be able to communicate the whole subject matter in plain English and in an empowering way so that it changed people's lives and it helped create financial independence. You know, in the 80s, so we're talking 83 onwards, there was this movement going on in London, which was the start of women's networking, professional women's networking, women in property, women in management, women in the city. It was all happening. And I was looking for a peer group. I came out of university, which had been a mixed male, female, uh, 50-50 roughly, into the financial world where there were almost no women at all. Every meeting I went to, I was the only woman in the room. So I went looking for a female peer group by being involved in these networks. And I discovered that women like me lacked confidence with numeracy. So I made it my mission to work with women and to empower women to be financially independent you can take control of your life. You can move out of a relationship that's that's detrimental if you have the financial means to do so. Yes, you can change so your career. Bloody blah. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. And that leads me on to the next to to this question. Why yeah. is it so crucial for women to be in positions of influence and leadership at this time? My take now would be it's not about women being in positions of leadership. It's about the balance of the divine masculine and the divine, the divine feminine. Exactly. In, in it, everyone. That's right. right. That's okay, right. But if, but if I go back to my time in London and talk about women's leadership, because I was very involved in that, let me explain what I observed. I was uh, um, running my own business, which was it grew to be reasonably big in, in due course. Um, and I was working with many other women who also ran their own businesses or who were very senior in the corporate world. And I got to see what women's leadership looked like. And then when I sold that business, I set up a video website, which was about interviewing I mean, I interviewed in the first year or so before I moved on to something else and sort of ditched that, unfortunately, a hundred or so women who were absolutely at the top of their game in the UK, both in their own businesses and in corporates. And that was all about understanding further what women bring to the party and how women's leadership is different to men. And what I learned was that it was very similar to my own style. And I, I didn't describe my style as feminine or anything. I just did what came naturally. But first and foremost, women don't consider power and money as their number one priority. So they come from a position of using their intuition, of following um, the opportunities that present themselves, of making their mission to make a difference to their staff and their customers or their clients, to engage everyone and create teamwork and cohesion. And so these are the things that actually define women's leadership style by and large. Mm. Um, and I found that the ones in corporates who had risen to become chief executives of, you know, FT100 listed companies, for instance, never set out saying, I want the top job. Mm. They mm. took every opportunity that came to them. They went left right, up, down, sideways, all over the place, learning in the process a huge amount about their organizations. And then when they were maybe two or three runs off the top job, they thought, well, maybe I'll go for it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do it. So women's leadership is very different to the traditional male leadership um, style. 
And so I feel that that is more of what we want to see in our society and in business. Mm-hmm. But actually, it needs to be across the board. So um, we need to incorporate the best aspects of divine masculine and divine feminine exactly. within ourselves, yes. but also within the mix of the people making decisions. But that then goes back to understanding ourselves. What is really us? What is not really us? Mm. We take on board all of the patterning of our society, of our parents, of our peer group, of our education. And that patterning, it's actually not even patterning, it's programming. Mm. You know, that programming then determines how we think and how we behave. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the things that's been happening in this pressure pot of the madness of our world now is to say, what is me? Is, is that who I really am? Because until you start to unpeel all of those layers, you cannot replace those, um, those, those narratives that you have about yourself and people around you and the world you live in with things that are more useful and things that are more benevolent. We have to start to understand um, what, you know, to, to peel back the layers and to come back to a point where we can see what's ego, what isn't ego, and where the heart is. And actually, I wanted, if you're, if you're up for it, to talk about Lemuria. I've been following for years the information that has been given by a channeled source called Cryon. I don't know if you've come across the Cryon information. No, but, but they say okay. that Lemuria was of the divine feminine. Yes, yes. So the information that was given by the Cryon entourage about Lemuria is really breathtaking. They had a society that was a starting society in terms of the organization of people and activities. They also worked with the Pleiadian mothers. So they had this incredible wisdom and they had the seeding of their divinity at that time. This was about uh, 200,000 years ago. Lemuria was this um, continent, a small continent. And what's left of it now are the Hawaiian Islands. So the Hawaiian Islands that stick out at the top, it was all part of one continent apparently um, at at the start. But they had organized their society. So the women were effectively the wise ones and the leaders. They were sort of in charge. But it wasn't something that was based on power. It was just this innate knowing of what women were good at and what men were good at. So the women um, epitomized the divine feminine in terms of such strong connection with their intuition. They would actually, the men would get up every morning at about five o'clock to go fishing to get the food for the day. But they would first consult with the women who would tune in and say where they should fish, where they will find fish today. So they revered the women for their knowledge to guide them to where they should go fish, right? Yes, intuition. And when, yeah. Yes. And, and the women would then... um uh, educate the children and do the things that women do and they would have their wise women groups and they would birth in a birthing pool mm. and they would sing while new life came into the world into the world and so on so they so but the men looked after the women they did what they were good at when they brought the catch of fish in they would cook it and prepare the food they did the whole process so that was the division of labor based on common sense you know what does it mean to be divine feminine what does it mean yeah it means it means all of the above everything that we've been talking about it's sort of like if you embrace those aspects of your being 
So the compassion, the heartfelt um, motivations, the the unity consciousness idea of bringing people and ideas together, that is magnetism. You don't have to go out and force things to happen. You gravitate to you what you need to manifest. That is divine feminine. You know, when I started out, um, I had sort of seen in my own life as as role models in my family that the power that that the feminine was weak and i said i never want to be like that exactly never yeah yeah so i went out into the world and i pushed ahead and did my sport and i um set up you know businesses all my life and actually in that process i was using a lot of male energy because mm. that was my knee jerk reaction and i had to learn through observation, as I've described, through working with women and through noticing my patterns, actually, that I was probably battling with. And so it took me a long Masculine. time to mm-hmm. balance that in myself. That's so right. I could do, so I could be what the term for this is sort of more androgynous, that you have the capacity to straddle both energies and do the masculine things and work out of the masculine when you need to, but yes. at the same time to espouse the feminine. And please tell us about your new project, the Earth <laughs> Collective. And, you know, just tell yeah. us all about it. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay. So I had been um, rewilding in Wales and gradually getting off grid. Uh, well, as best I could. I, I had my own water. I had my own, uh, I had a biomass stove. I had uh, wood burning stoves. I had my own um, uh, sewerage uh, disposal. The only thing I didn't have was power. But it's very difficult with a 15th century property to be completely energy efficient, to be completely insulated. I mean, you just you you can't. But it had focused my mind on how do you live in a sustainable way and an affordable way? Yeah. You know, how do you not pay bills, but have something that really works and sustains itself? So I'd been doing a lot of research over the years into all manner of, of things related to that and looked at different concepts. There was one concept called the, the um, passive house, H-A-U-S, which is an, an ultra energy efficient way of building. It's a style of building, um, which is a German uh, principle yeah. where you insulate everything so that there's no air that goes from the inside to the out there can be no loss of heat but you have a mechanical air ventilation system so you have fresh air in the property the whole time you use solar um and you know you don't require any other form of heating mostly because you have the solar gain that comes in and you're not losing any heat and you have fresh air Mm -hmm. so i really like that then i thought a few years later i came across the earth the earth ship concept think hobbit house think partially buried coming out of the ground I was researching that type of living because then you have the warmth from the earth behind you. You have the warmth from the sun coming in through the glass at the front. So again, you have passive heat without any energy um, and you grow your own food within the conservatory on the front, which is like a glass conservatory. And you have your own water harvesting and your own water purification and your own energy and, and so on. So I thought that was it. And then when I sold up, so several years down the line again, I thought, well, what else is there now? And I came across an iteration of Earthship, which was built for cold climates in particular. Um, and so I've sort of gone more along those lines. So my concept is to create a community of maybe seven homes and a community 
building for um, education, for courses, for interns, guest accommodation, and so on, which is completely self-sufficient in terms of food, in terms of energy, in terms of everything, no grid, no facilities required from the outside world, but also that uses the facets of sacred geometry and biogeometry to maximize the balanced um, energy and the power of the spaces. So what's become obvious to me over many years is that we live in boxes. We live in rooms with right angles everywhere. We live in a, in, 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 in a world where everything is being poisoned, our water, our air, our food. You have the poison from exactly. pharma. So you have the great poisoning that's been going on. You have buildings that are not harmonic to our being. And the overall effect of that is that it is increasingly difficult to live in what I call um, a state of homeostasis. So what I define that as is that we take, that we are in a state where we take, we we can take absolutely for granted good health, Mm. good energy. And we just get on and do what we're meant to do in life. It's mind, we don't, body, soul alignment, isn't it? It's alignment. Yeah. But it's not just that. It's the environment because yeah. we don't want the environment working against us, either no. in terms of food or in terms of energy, the geopathic stress. So the, the energy lines in the ground, either work the EMFs, EMFs, the EMFs. So something, so to create buildings that are harmonious in all of those, in all of those facets. So they're curvilinear. There's no edges that they are in the right power points in the in the ground on the site, which will be up to about 40 acres, that they are harmonic between the earth and the sky and the cosmos, that they are the right energy for the individuals, the specific individuals that will live in those buildings. And then you have the whole aspect of how do you live together in a community? So the given for me is that people must be on the same page. People must be like-minded. People must be aware. They must be working on themselves, soul tribe. So they must be working on themselves as a never-ending journey of learning and um, expansion. But once you have that as a given, then what are the ways at a practical level that you work together in community to avoid conflict and to harmonize those relationships? So that's what my project is about. Um, and I don't believe it's been done before quite in the way I'm envisaging. So I, yet again, I have another blank piece of paper and I have started with the first question, what? And actually, this project finally came to me in a coherent form exactly a year ago. I was still in the UK in my dark night of the soul. And finally, it came together in a, in a sort of epiphany. And I was given the name, the Earth Collective for it. Beautiful. Um, yeah. So, um, and from there, it was like, well, well, okay, what next? You know, like, well, where? What country? I, I mean, with who? What, how? So I had to start from this absolute baseline of nothingness. And now a year later, I'm actually, I decided, okay, it's going to be in Ireland. But also, I've now gathered a number of people that are seriously interested in doing it with me. I've gathered a huge network of people. I've been gathering information for having the right team of eco-architects, natural builders, and all of the participants And I don't know, I can only ever see one step ahead. I'm not a builder. I'm not an architect. I am having to just gain the information and the contacts so that it starts to put itself together and can circumnavigate the difficulties, which everyone tells me are there in terms of planning and making it happen in that sense. So I hear what everyone else says, but it's not my reality. That's sort of in a nutshell. Wow. 
absolutely wonderful. Really, really. Um, it's just fascinating, fascinating to hear. So thank you for all of your insights that you've given us today. And I just want to say thank you for being on the Great Awakening Show. Thank you very much, Joanne.